Welcome to Port City Politics. I'm WHQR News Director Ben Schachman. And I'm WBCT investigative reporter Michael Prats. And on today's episode, we're going to welcome some new faces to local government boards and talk a little bit about uh, Live Nation. Always fun. And just say a little bit about some of the recent threats that have been going on to almost everything. Yeah, so let's go ahead and jump right into it with the New Hanover County Board of Commissioners, where we saw uh, Commissioner Rob Zappel uh, retook his seat. We knew this uh, following the election. And uh, former Carolina Beach mayor and, and uh, town councilwoman Leanne Pierce is now a county commissioner. So they both were sworn in uh, this past week on Monday at the county. Uh, we did see some interesting changes to the uh, to the chairperson seat on the board. Yeah, so this is a wrangling that happens, at least for our county commission, every year uh, in December to see who will be the chair and who will be vice chair. Um, the vice chair is a bit more ceremonial. Chair actually does have uh, some executive powers, especially during emergencies like hurricanes or, I don't know, pandemics. And they do make more money. And they do get a tidy bump, uh, a bump that was made even tidier a couple years ago uh, when Julia Olson Bozeman was chair. More about her in a second. Yep. Um, but often this goes to the person who has seniority or the person who has the most compelling mandate from an election. And this time we saw neither. Yeah, it was. Uh, so Bill Rivenbark is now the official chairman of the board. Um, which is interesting to me, um, to say the least, because out of all of the county commissioners that I have worked with um, over the years, he is the one that I have worked the least with. And that's not to say anything disparaging. He, uh, he has not been very uh, willing to talk with the media, which is not a prerequisite to be a county chairperson. Want to make that clear. Um, but he's also not been very outspoken um, at the board meetings. He, you know, he obviously does participate in that sort of thing. But it will be interesting to see someone, and it is interesting to see someone who has uh, really been, you know, uh, just not a major face of the county get that chairperson position. Yeah, I mean, during his two years on the board of education. Um, before he left that post to run for county commissioner, Ravenbark was very quiet. Um, you know, at, at times would go entire meetings without saying anything, uh, Clarence Thomas style. Um, and yeah, you're right. He has not been an outspoken voice leading the charge on any particular issue. And he voted in near lockstep with Julia Olson Bozeman for two plus years. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, an interesting choice. I don't want to get too far into the speculation about how this came about, but I will say um, it seems like Jonathan Barfield, as the most senior uh, mm -hmm. county commissioner, the, the most years on the board, would be one possible choice. That obviously didn't happen. Um, a natural choice would have been Deb Hayes mm -hmm. because the Republicans now have a majority. They had one with Julia Osen Bozeman, but that was... Um, well, a majority no one wanted. Neither party seemed to yeah. want to be affiliated here. But now they have a, a sort of more united, united cohesive, cohesive yeah. uh, Republican majority with Deb Hayes, Bill Ravenbark, and Leanne Pierce. And so as the most senior Republican on the board, uh, Deb Hayes would seem like a natural choice. Um, but all I can say is it seems like she didn't have the votes. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what, it, that's what it comes down to. And, uh, you know, I've talked with, 
several commissioners, notably uh, Commissioner Rob Zappala, then uh, you know more than willing to speak with me in the past about uh, the appointing of the chair and his thoughts on it, which he he definitely has his concerns with how this works out. Um, it does turn into a, uh, a, and obviously it is a political board, so it, it makes sense, um, but it turns into what he's called, you know, just uh, some behind the scenes politics, so to speak. Um, it's not really supposed to happen that way. Maybe the two parties within their respective parties, you know, get together um, <clears throat> for party business and, you know, maybe the the chairman of the GOP and the chair of the New Hanover County Democrats, uh, you know, put their, you know, voices in there. Uh, but, you know, it's often who gets the first nomination during, I, I don't think I've ever really seen the first nomination go unsupported um, in all my years here. So it is interesting. And then we also have Leanne Pierce as the vice chair, which, um, now, she ran a very vocal campaign this past year. She's been very, very much out in the public, uh, very much getting the support from Carolina Beach and the beach towns, because I think this is one of the first times, at least that I have seen since I've been here, I'm sure it's happened before, um, that we have someone from a beach town representing the county. Typically, it is county residents and I'm... I mean, county outside of other municipalities and city of Wilmington residents uh, that are taking these spots. So Leanne Pierce definitely had a lot of support from her beach communities, uh, not just Carolina Beach. So that one, to me, it, it does make sense, even though she is, uh, you know, the newest member of the board. Um, it is a Republican controlled board. So obviously we were going to get Republican chair and vice chair because they do have that cohesion there. But uh, again, that, that Bill Rivenbark appointment was somewhat of a surprise to me. Not a, not a bad surprise, not a good surprise, just a surprise um, that I personally did not see coming. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people did. Yeah. And one thing I'll say uh, in Bill's defense is that um, the actual operation of a meeting mm -hmm. running under Robert's Rules of Orders or whatever local variation on that you, ha <clears throat> you have, uh, it's tricky, and there'll be some fumbles the first couple of meetings. Yeah. Uh, we've seen this on every single board. Um, it's easy to forget that when you watch someone like uh, Bill Sappho run a City of Wilmington mm -hmm. meeting after over a dozen years as mayor. He obviously has those rules of order down pat. So it takes a minute to get the hang of it. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And there's going to be, like you said, a learning curve, and that is to be expected. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll give some leeway there if things don't go off without a hitch because like you said uh someone like mayor sappho has been here for decades doing what he does um so it, it becomes second nature to that point my other i guess question and you kind of briefly touched on it is that uh Rivenbark has been pretty much in lockstep with julie olson bozeman um and a supporter of hers so with all of the fallout that we've seen with Julie Olson Bozeman, and now that she is no longer on the board, um, our coverage is obviously going to drop off a little bit. Uh, still want to follow some of these issues, but for the most part, it's not our job anymore. She is a private citizen, so 
Um, people have been asking me, you know, what's what's the coverage going to be? And, you know, for some of the bigger issues that we all have talked about ad nauseum, uh, yes, we will still follow some of that. Uh, but to see someone that was so in lockstep with someone that neither party, as you mentioned, wanted on their team, so to speak, uh, to see that person get appointed to the chair, it's that that's also surprising to me. It is. But I got to say, watching Monday's meeting, um, you and the uh, borderline saccharine uh, congratulatory speech that County Manager Chris Coudray gave to Julie Olson Bozeman, you would not know that there had been any issues with her at all. Um, Coudray touted her leadership uh, pushing through the hospital sale, which nothing criminal there, but far from mm -hmm. uncontentious. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, talked about the benefit of the uh, the financial benefit that has been reaped from that, which is undeniable. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, didn't mention the cratering of Project Race, um, but it was all positive, you know, and she then got a, you know, a standing ovation. People actually rose, most of the people, not all, uh, most of the people in the crowd um, rose to their feet and gave Julia a standing ovation. And then she promptly left the, uh, left the building. You would not have known from watching just that if you hadn't been following along at home that there had been any concerns. So you've said it in the past, you know, the whole um, the emperor has no clothes. If, if anyone for any reason was holding out uh, or holding their breath, that there might be some acknowledgement of this during her very last meeting, uh, you would have been disappointed. There was not. They were, uh, they were very true to themselves to the very end here. Um, so, you know, we've, we've weighed in on that enough, I think. Uh, let's kick over to the New Hanover County Board of Education. What did we see here? Yeah, we saw f um, three, we saw, well, four people took the oath and three new faces. So Pete Wildeboer, uh, who was appointed to fill uh, Bill Rivenbark's empty seat, won re-election as an incumbent. And then we had Melissa Mason, Josie Barnhart, and Pat Bradford. Mm -hmm. um, and here, I think there was a bit more open contest for the, uh, for the chair position. I will say that is in keeping with the bit more uh, freewheeling style, let's put it that way, uh, yes. of the school board. Um, they, haven't, they don't have quite the August senatorial practices of the New Hanover County Commission where they're very good at hashing out the chair stuff behind closed doors and then sort of basically uh, ceremonially appointing someone. Yeah. Here there was an open contest for chair. Um, just a quick note, we actually misreported the vice chair at first before we corrected that. So just apologies to anyone impacted by that. Um, but Pete Wildeboer was appointed chair. That seemed a pretty clean vote. Um, he is the, uh, you know, he is not, I suppose, the most senior Republican, but uh, Stephanie Craybill, mm -hmm. uh, Republican, has said she is not running again, which makes her not the best candidate. And she was censured by the GOP for basically breaking ranks with them over things like DEI initiatives and the, um, the trans athlete policy. So Pete seemed like a, a shoe in for that. Yeah, for sure. And with with Pete, I will say, you know, just talking with him, um, Previously, I don't cover the school boards that frequently, but speaking with him at the uh, the town hall forums that we had, hearing some of his answers, I will say, you know, there's without a doubt the GOP, and we've talked about this, uh, ran roughshod and got the entire uh, the entire slate with the open uh, with the open seats this past election. Uh, and there are multiple people, we're talking about uh, Pat Bradford and Melissa Mason, who have been uh, 
labeled as much more extreme on some of their views um, and targeted by Democrats, which now is obviously irrelevant. She ha they both have been elected. Um, but a lot of that rhetoric actually fires up um, you know, the voters to come out and that's, you know, the voters spoke and that's what they supported. Um, but to see Pete get the chair position, um, obviously with the seniority, that does make sense. Uh, a little bit surprised that we didn't see, um, you know, someone like Pat Bradford or Melissa Mason, um, who ran such very vocal and, uh, you know, just very, very vocal campaigns. We'll leave it there. Um, and with a lot of their ideas, uh, very controversial. And to see, you know, to see Pete get that seat, um, it seems like they went the more middle of the road uh, as opposed to someone, you know, who has some very, uh, very right ideas. Yeah, and we saw some of that too in the, uh, the vice chair election. Mm -hmm. um, Stephanie Walker, uh, Democrat um, made, you know, one of two Democrats left on the board, uh, made a motion to have Josie Barnhart, um, who at least, you know, in public seemed more closer to center right than, say, Pat Bradford or Melissa Mason, mm -hmm. as vice chair. Um, ultimately, the vote went for Pat Bradford, mm -hmm. um, who got four votes. And Pat did, you know, we had speculated that, um, you know, there was a number of issues that, the, that especially Melissa Mason and Pat Bradford said they felt very strongly about, including, you know, getting rid of um, DEI programs, um, putting something in place to prevent the teaching of CRT, although the district says that's not a thing, um, and even firing Superintendent Charles Faust. Mm -hmm. So we were wondering if there could be, you know, if all of that could sort of just explode onto the scene um, during their first meeting. It didn't, but Pat Bradford did try to basically reopen the agenda Mm -hmm. um, it got shut down, but I emailed her and asked her what she wanted to add, and she told me that she um, she wanted to open the floor to anyone who wanted to add things, but her she specifically wanted to add a measure for academic accountability, um, and she said uh, an a way to increase opportunities um, for parents and students to communicate with the uh, with the board. So, not as sort of I don't know none of the things that she, the more of high profile things that she had talked about during the campaign. Mm -hmm. um, it's worth pointing out that the, the meeting was delayed by yet another hoax shooting call. Mm -hmm. um, and that was part of the reason that um, Bradford's motion didn't go through is that they were already getting a late start. These meetings tend to go long. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, that's one thing I did want to ask before we wrap this up is, I, you know, neither of us have a crystal ball, but with, uh, with the slate of Republicans winning and the uh, I think it's more than fair. Everybody's called a dysfunction on the board. Um, with the prior dysfunction of the board, do you think we're going to continue to see as much dysfunction? I mean, there's still some Democrats and there's still uh, people with very vocal opinions. Um, but, you know, the marathon meetings that run hours and hours into the night, um, do you think we're going to continue to see that? I think we will still, it is a young board, mm -hmm. so I think we will continue to see um, live layer debates that maybe go on longer than they would with a more seasoned board. Mm -hmm. I also think that a lot of the you know, dysfunction or even just prolonged conversations came between strong vocal disagreements between two Democrats, yep. uh, Nelson Bollier and Judy Justice, mm -hmm. who both lost this recent election. So I think those kind of, you know, 
there was some acrimony there. And I think with that reduced, we'll see meetings a bit more streamlined. Many of the candidates, including Pat Bradford and Pete Wildebor, have talked about wanting to find ways to make these meetings go more smoothly because, to be frank, um, two six-hour meetings every month um, takes a toll on the board members. It takes a toll on members of the public who want to come out and participate. It takes a toll on us who have to watch it and try I, and report on it. It's I hate to woe is me as a reporter because it's our job, but um, you know, frankly, it is difficult to, it's also difficult to communicate to the public right. you know, what happened. These meetings initially were so long because um, after years of refusing the assistance of uh, state level guidance, mm -hmm. um, the New Hanover County School District's policies had drifted, in some cases, criminally away from, uh, when it comes to things like Title IX, I literally mean criminally. Yeah. Um, their policies in general had drifted away from the best practices that are put forward by the um, Association of uh, School Boards. And so they finally sort of took some state guidance, but that me meant rewriting and then the board had to reapprove dozens and dozens and dozens of policies, sometimes dozens a night. Right. And that that initially caused meetings to go very, very long. But then as it, as the board fell into dysfunction, it just became routine for six hour meetings. So yeah. um, I hope that they are more streamlined. You know, I, I do appreciate uh, it's worth pointing out as a journalist and a, and a citizen that lively debate is good. Absolutely. I was going to say that, um, you know, not having a board that votes in total lockstep, not having a board that maybe ignores issues and pretends everything okay, uh, that's, that is a good thing. It's a healthy part of our democracy. 100%. To a point. Maybe three hours of that, <laughs> but not six hours. Yeah, yeah. I, that's kind of where I wanted to leave it as well. I greatly appreciate the, um, I mean, it is transparency because they're doing this in public. And a lot of the times, yes, it's dysfunctional. Yes, uh, at times it has turned childish. Um, but that is much more compelling and much more honest to myself and to the public who go to these meetings to attend them to hear these discussions. And when there's no discussion on things uh, and everything does just get, for all intents and purposes, appearances of rubber stamps, uh, it does nothing for nobody except the people that are benefiting from these approvals. So I really do appreciate the the lively conversations. But again, it it could be streamlined a little bit better. Yeah. All right. Good time for a break. I think so. All right. We'll come back. We're going to talk about Live Nation and um, just a, a word of caution about what's been going on in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome back to Port City Politics. I'm WHQR News Director Ben Schachman. And I'm WECT investigative reporter Michael Pratz. And we're looking at another concert season. We are, yeah. We're coming coming up to it. We had close to 30 shows this past season. Uh, and obviously we're talking about the Live Oak Faint Pavilion down there at Riverfront Park, the, uh, the flagship park of the city of Wilmington. And you know, it got off to a rough start uh, to get to completion. We had change orders, we had uh, delays outside of many people's control due to COVID and things to that nature and uh, the economy. But, you know, we've gone through two concert seasons now and for what I've seen, uh, yes, there are things that can be improved. Um, 
there were some issues with littering and ADA compliance, and certainly some of the folks who live in the immediate vicinity have reached out to us to complain about the noise. Right. But on the whole, uh, it might even pain me to admit this, it seems like it is going pretty well now. Yeah, and I've actually been to a few shows there. I do, you know, personally, I think they need to move the sound tent. Uh, which blocks a major portion. And sound I tents, have heard of that too, yeah. Sound tents often do, but also a lot of places have sound boards that are not tented. I understand it rains in the summer, but, uh, you know, perhaps a little lower profile because it blocks a huge portion. But uh, besides that and not having video screens, um, all in all, every concert I've been to has been uh, like any other Live Nation venue that you will go to in the country, which is pretty much every venue at this point, um, you know, things are going off without a hitch. But we have talked about for the past two years, uh, an interesting little tidbit that the city of Wilmington City Council uh, had approved a contract with Live Nation, uh, which was to purchase VIP box seats for, uh, well, it changed a few times. Uh, the first go around, the, it, and this is $14,000, $15,000 in that price range. Mm -hmm. it, it fluctuates. Um, my, I think you and I both always had the questions as to, number one, y'all were building this project for years. Why was this not included in the initial uh, building of it? I, I don't see anything inherently wrong with the city who built the park with the taxpayers who paid for this um, having a stake in their own property, um, you know, even though it is being rented out to Live Nation. Um, to me, it makes sense. We've seen other cities across the state do it. It it's fine in in that sense. It's something that does happen. And, um, you know, if you paid millions of dollars for this park as the city, you know, having those seats, but where we did have some uh, complaints that it wasn't it wasn't our complaints it was people reaching out to us and you and I both took the brunt of a lot of the blame um, for screwing this up uh, which didn't really get screwed up um, yeah they're fine they're they're perfectly fine Neil but, Anderson City Councilman Neil Anderson is fine <laughs> yeah but uh, there was a lot of blame going around and I took a lot of that blame and I'm like I have no idea what I even did I never questioned it Long story short, the initial proposal was city council members were going to get first crack at these seats. Then it was going to go, if they didn't use them, to the city manager who could then allocate them to possibly uh, the Boys and Girls Club or sure. uh, for rewarding employees who had been you know, working hard. And to me, that, that did make some sense, being able to, you know, you want these tickets not to go to waste. Ultimately, after getting some coverage, uh, the Mayor Bill Sappho, presented, and, and this was staff, he was just the one who presented it two years ago, uh, presented a change that basically said, these are gonna be used for economic development purposes only, which means, you know, if you bring in, uh, if someone's thinking, you know, another PPD of sorts, wants to bring in, you know, 5,000 jobs. Um, well, let's take them out on the town and show them what we have to offer, kind of a, a, a schmooze fest to convince them to come here, which is important for economic development. I do not question that whatsoever. Um, what we did question, though, is do you know how many times those seats have been used in two years? My guess would be zero. Yeah, it's uh, it's right around zero. Hmm. Um, so that's, you know, about thirty thousand dollars of wasted taxpayer money, which in the scheme of things, uh, 
they've wasted much more money on other things that have gone, you know, unused and uh, honestly, just just some waste of public money. It happens all over in government. Um, but this latest thing, tell us, tell us what is on the agenda um, for Live Nation for this upcoming season. So they are in the past. Live Nation had, I believe, around twenty shows, and they could request more shows. So this is, and they they did that because mm-hmm. the, I mean, the the public um, response was very positive. Yeah. And so this just kind of formalizes that new higher ceiling for the number of shows Live Nation can do. And they are again going to go with the uh, box seats, I believe. Yes, they are. But the interesting fact in all of this is when they, you know, if they approve this, and I believe they, they might have voted on Tuesday on this. I wasn't at that meeting, um, but it was it was on the agenda. And um, the other interesting addition was they are now asking Live Nation to give them the four pack of box seats, which Again, I'm not quite sure why that was never the case to begin with. If you, you know, you pump city money into what helped build a Live Nation venue, um, you know, you would think that could have been negotiated out. Um, but that does seem to be, you know, they, they're kind of taking notice um, because the problem with what their policy was before, um, they were supposed to sell any unused tickets. and. You know, not only did the tickets go unused by city council member for economic development, I think there might have been one or two now later on in the season. I haven't checked, so I, I want to walk that back a little by saying zero. It might have been two. Okay. Um, so <laughs> around zero. <laughs> around zero. Roughly around zero. Um, yeah. In you know, they they spent fourteen thousand dollars tax money. It went unused. Um, now the changes require Live Nation to provide four complimentary box seats to the city for all events at the pavilion. Uh, with the current value of tickets, it is now up to 15324 And I spoke with Councilman Luke Waddell uh, earlier this year, and he wasn't on the board at the time when they approved this initial purchase. Um, but he was very vocal in you know, promising to take another look at this and see how they can be more fiscally responsible um, with that purchase. And Looks like he came through, uh, at least in part. You know, this was part of his discussion and his doing. Um, and I single him out because, A, he's been willing to talk to me about this, so I know his thoughts on it. Um, and B, and again, this was one of those kind of go along to get along that nobody really, really yeah. questioned. Um, so interesting to see. Yeah, I will say just really quick, you know, over the last five or six years, we've reported on a lot of deals that the city of Wilmington and New Hanover County and Carolina Beach and other government agencies have entered into. And people sometimes assume that there is a particular slant that we are coming at this at. And it's worth saying almost every single time there's a deal, there are at least two groups of people that we hear from. Mm-hmm. One is are the you know anti-deal people. Yep. Um, these are folks who, for example, didn't want the Avenue and Centerpoint to go through or right. didn't want um, Live Nation to take over Greenfield Lake or to be you know, the vendor for the Riverfront Park. Right. Then there are the people who are all in favor of public-private partnerships, but think that the city and the county and other government agencies do a poor job at negotiating strongly on behalf of the taxpayers. Mm-hmm. And I think Live Nation is one where we definitely reported the points of view of both of those groups. There were people who had serious concerns about Live Nation's monopolistic practices mm-hmm. and their um, 
I think it's fair to say, egregious drink prices and their tendency to renege on deals to support, you know, the local partners like food trucks and local breweries and stuff like that. Yes. There were also people who, you know, contacted us, some of them because they're part of the development world, you know, privately to express concerns that this was a great idea that the city wasn't taking full advantage of. Mm -hmm. The metaphor, and this is politically incorrect, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's someone else's words. Um, the metaphor one particular interested party used was the city, when it was contacted by Live Nation, acted like the ugliest girl in school being asked out by the quarterback. So apologies for the deep misogyny of that metaphor, but it, that is something someone actually called me to say. Not that the city shouldn't do business with Live Nation, right. but that the city should take advantage of one of the best locations I've ever seen for a concert venue. Yeah, absolutely. You're coming from a position of power. You don't let the, you know, you have something that they want. And I think that was one of the biggest, uh, the biggest concerns from folks is, um, again, this is a primo piece of property. It's a beautiful venue. It's a beautiful park. Um, people have an appetite for live music at least for the time being, while the economy still allows you to pay for some of these tickets. But with the True. cost of Ticketmaster fees and Live Nation fees, um, it is, I'm, I'm interested to see how that impacts future concerts, ticket sales, something we'll definitely have to look at. Um, but yeah, I, I think there is a, we're not little old Wilmington. It's not this small town that it used to be. There is, people want to be here. And uh I think that's been one of the concerns is that the city and the county don't necessarily take advantage of that position of power that they have. Now, I don't know if it's whether or not they're just not realizing that people do want to come here, regardless if you take them to a night out on the town. I don't think that's going to make or break. I don't think it's a bad thing inherently to show off your assets. Um, but you know, just to realize what the city and the county and our area in general has to offer, it's very, very appealing. And you can see that with the population growth. Um, so, you know, a little bit more savvy negotiating, yeah. I think is what we've heard from a lot of people. And on behalf of the city's uh, underrepresented punk and metal communities, maybe some heavier bands. Please, please. I would love to see some heavier music as well as some, some hip hop and rap. I mean, I, I really would. Um, and I'm actually going to be diving into the the data from the past two years and the concerts and the uh, seemingly lack of diversity. We understand that y'all like new country. And jam bands. And jam bands. And that's great. But there's got to be some diversity there because, I mean, um, you know, this is a taxpayer funded facility and you have a, you know, Wilmington has a large black population. It has a large um minority population that jam bands and country music are not the you know often the music of choice not to say that they, you can't cross genres or to stereotype anybody but the ticket sales and the appeal of some of these bands um, with the bro pop country um, it's just not attracting it's not it's not appealing to everybody in the community. And I think you and I are, you know, potentially included that with uh, preferring something a bit heavier that maybe they've heard of a dis distortion pedal. Um, just so, one, just one distortion pedal. So maybe we'll see that in the future. I am not holding my breath. No. I'm not sure who's in charge of booking these bands, but uh, if you're listening, please uh, reach out. I'll give you some, uh, some good metal band suggestions. Absolutely. Mastodon 2023. There you go. All right, so real quick before we leave, um, there has been, a slate 
of threats over the last couple of weeks, whether we're talking about um, drag shows or schools or power stations. Yeah. And we don't want to go too far into this. Uh, we'll have some links on the page. But again, we don't want to give any oxygen to, you know, the initial hoaxers or people who are making threats and certainly not to those who are making copycat calls. Mm -hmm. But simply to say, law enforcement often does not say this part out loud because for the same reasons, they're trying not to encourage this behavior. Yeah. But people are on high alert. So the other day at, um, at Laney High School, um, so Laney and then Trask Middle School is right there too, um, is next to Olson Park on the far side of Olson Park. Uh, there is some forest land. There's also, uh, I believe, Trask family land that people hunt on. Mm-hmm. And ordinarily, and I, I live near there and I've been running up to that park and you will occasionally hear gunshots. You, sure. And if you know there are hunters there, you don't think much of it. Under the, in the current climate, I understand why teachers and staff reacted. They mm-hmm. notified authorities and they were put on lockdown. There was no threat and the, you know, but that's traumatic for, for schools, uh, for staff, for teachers, for students. Um, and the same thing we saw with the uh, the power station shootings here in Moore County. Mm-hmm. Um, there was what was initially rep- reported as a potential copycat crime in South Carolina. It ended up being some Yahoo discharging a firearm from a car right. near a water pump station, I believe. But it yeah. was not it was not a, a similar act of um, vandalism slash domestic terrorism. We don't know. Put a pin in that. Yeah. But I'll say because people are on high alert, there has been an immediate jump to tie whatever the latest you know, threat or potential threat is to some entity, you know, what they're blaming it on right. the right or the left or, and it's, it's one of those times where I understand speculation. I understand wanting, um, wanting as much information as possible, but we've just seen a lot of comments, you know, demonizing the media for reporting just the facts. Yeah. And I got to say for a, um, a, a group of people who usually pillory the media for not reporting just the facts, that seems like a weird twist. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And I think that's pretty much where I would like to um, to leave it purely because don't want to give attention to this. Everybody knows what's going on, but we'd also be remiss not to say, not to at least acknowledge that these things are happening, but we do not want to give this any more attention that it's already getting, um, you know, just on between you and I on a personal level, that's not speaking for either of our stations, I don't think, but I don't think on this podcast, we want to get into that. Yeah, um, so when there are more facts, we'll have more facts to report. Okay, so, all right, so I think that's a good place to leave that. Um, right before we leave, there's one more thing we wanted to talk about, and this is perhaps a very <laughs> weird story. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna leave here on a uh, interesting, interesting note, purely because, you know, I saw this on our website. I don't, you know, we don't, we don't have all of the uh, all of the stories don't necessarily come from WECT. We do pull from the wire from the AP. I know y'all do as well. Uh, there was one that just the headline just really got me. And then the, the subhead. Um, and this was about a nurse accused of amputating patient's foot without permission barred from being a caregiver. Yeah, that's probably number one. That's probably the bare minimum reaction you should do if someone is amputated. Yes, I mean, this isn't a uh, headless body and topless bar, but that's a heck of a headline. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And then the uh, the subhead for all of that really cracked me up. Uh, coworkers described it, uh, described this as weird. And again, I think that is way past the threshold of weird. Um, but if you want a weird headline for the week, uh, go check out that story. Not uh, Not sure what's going on. 
Yeah, and if yeah. I mean if if for the young for the young ones out there who are neologizing and coming up with new words, if you want to come up with something that is one order of magnitude higher than weird, please get on that. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, I think that's a good place to leave it. Yes, it is. We will see you next week. All right, we will see you then.